Hey, Alex, can you hear me? Um, Professor, did class get canceled? No, I was here with us. Okay, all right, give me a second. I'll turn my camera on. You scared me. I thought we were canceled again. Hold on, hold on. Let me respond in just a second. Testing one, two, three. Hey, someone say something. Hi. Okay, good. Thank you for saying hi. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry about that. I was I'm having computer problems. And inshallah, we'll start here. A second, inshallah. So We express our praise and gratitude to Allah Ta'ala, and we seek blessings upon the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And apologies on the, uh, I'm getting that circle thing that says something's loading, and then it does not load. Ah, one note is coming. Okay, that part is set. And, oh man, it's loading again because I launched it 500 times. Okay. So. Oh, stop. Yeah, uh-huh. Wa alaikum salam. All right. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Nahmaduhu anusalli ala rasulihi al-kareem amma ba'd. We express our praise and gratitude to Allah Ta'ala, and we seek blessings upon the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So just to recap the ayah that we are looking at today. Oh, look at the tiny baby next to next to Asim. Mashallah. Okay. So, hi, tiny baby. And bye, tiny baby right there so once again let me know you can see the stuff on the screen yes okay very good so uh so there should be let there be among you an ummah a people okay calling to the good and then essentially commanding and joining what is right and joining what is familiar Anil Munkar, and then forbidding the wrong. And these are the successful ones. So one of the questions that I raised the other day was that I don't know what it means when Allah says that you are, he made you a just ummah, a middle ummah, unless we're speaking of something that we don't commonly measure, like, you know, the collective uh, faith of the ummah, if that's a thing, uh, or the family structure and its condition in the Ummah, 
or that it works if the umma is a polity, then it's something much more measurable. So then we have this, and so essentially what I'm saying is you're never going to have a situation where the entire body of Muslims is hardcore about Islam. And it may be that more often than not, it's a minority of the population. And by hardcore, I mean practicing all the, all the pillars and everything, all the commands. It might be a small minority. And so thus I'm leading us to look at this ayah where Allah is speaking at the beginning of this passage, Ya ayyuhalladhina amanu, O you who believe. And then the first passage of this subsection is have taqwa of Allah, as is his right, do not die except in surrender, do not die except as Muslim. Okay. And then the second ayah is wa'atasimu bil hablillahi jamia. Hold fast all of you, hold tight all of you to the habl of Allah the cord of Allah, and there's all kinds of different readings, what is the cord, what is the rope of Allah one is that it's the prophet peace be upon him. another is that it's the Quran and then, you know, who knows how many other ways we can we can read it, and do not be divided in doing it okay? and then remember the blessings of Allah upon you your, your enemies and he brought you together, so forth and so on okay? so the first is have taqwa, do not die except as Muslim, the second hold tight to the rope of Allah, do not be divided therein and then among you, there should be a group that calls to the good, promotes what is right, forbids what is wrong. What are your initial thoughts, reflections on this ayah? So awesome saying, isn't the eventuality going to be none of the Omar practicing? Yeah, sure. Thank you for talking about end times. But I'm just saying in any era, right, even the era of Ertigral, Right, you know, the, the, the most popular show in the history of the subcontinent. How many of you, okay, just admit it. How many of you have watched the entirety of Ertigral? Anyone? How many of you have watched more than one episode? I had to. Yes. I had to. I had to. I didn't have a choice. Sure, you had to. Okay. All right. Let's see if you've seen it. Okay. Jules has never, never heard of it, but I will. I'd rather be watching anime and stuff. So, the point I'm making is even in this era, that era of all the types of growth of Islam, I'm suggesting it's probably a minority population that is practicing the, the rudiments of the deen. Majority population is claiming the deen, uh, but I doubt it's much more than a significant minority that is actually practicing, let's say on a regular basis, the five pillars and all that stuff. Okay. And that's just my suggestion. So let's take it a step further. In uh, a given Muslim society in today's world, so let's say hypothetically we're speaking of Pakistan, what are all the nations represented here? We got India here, uh, we have Palestine here, any other, any other regions? Okay, so in Cleveland. Yeah, we have Egypt here too, right? Yeah, Yumna's here. So, and Sudan, oh, Cleveland and Sudan. Sudan. How could I forget the Sudan? Every time I, uh, I was thinking of Cleveland, but yeah, I should think of the Sudan. So, in these various countries, give me a percentage. What percentage of Muslims would you say are pretty consistent in making their five prayers? Okay. And, uh, do the fasting of Ramadan and 
do the zakat. Give me a hypothetical number, which we have no basis to, to prove or measure. But what do you think? So Tosif is saying five to 10% for where? Devon? Oh, I, <laughs> um, I was just saying in general in the Muslim world. But, okay, all right. Yeah. Uh, Iqbal is saying 40%, you're saying 40% of Pakistanis make their prayers on a regular basis, fast, the fast of Ramadan, and they pay their zakat. Yes. Mashallah. You give me a number. It's so ridiculous to give a number. Just give us a hypothetical number. Maybe like five. You think 5%? 5%? All right, Dania, what do you got? Um, Sorry, can we give a, a little bit of context? This kind of seems like a really bleak question. <laughs> kind of sad to talk about. Okay, so if we spoke about Gaza and the West Bank, would you say it's 80%? I would say it's probably higher. Higher than 80%. Oh, no, not like 80%. That's not, I'm saying higher than... Five? Yeah. <laughs> okay, give me a number. What do you think? Um, I mean, we have no basis to evaluate it, but... I'm going to say in general, not... I don't know about like population-based, but... I'm gonna, percentage. I'll, I'll say 20 you're saying 20 because you're afraid to make it higher because we're all giving these low numbers uh no because i think it's like all the three that you just listed to yeah, nail all awesome. three yeah okay uh let's see shala what did you say for iran 15 okay yumna you're saying 60 percent for egypt all three five daily prayers fasting in Ramadan, and zakat. I think maybe zakat is, 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 lit, is a little lower than, than 60, but I think the, the five prayers and the fasting is, is, is common. Mashallah. And you're in Cairo right now, correct? Yes. Okay, so she's right there on the ground. And so if you can do us a favor, um, in the next 24 hours, go measure it and, <laughs> and, and see what you get, inshallah. Okay, Khuram. So uh, I believe, uh, based on the experience here yeah. and uh, and uh, and back home, Pakistan, the thing is that uh, so one of things are especially in Ramadan, the population of mosque increases. So it, it looks like the one off thing, like Ramadan, people uh, so people are attending uh, mosque more as compared to daily like uh, regular mosque. So that uh, or or zakat then i can assume too so they might be paying the zakat too in the same thing because zakat is one of thing too okay uh, so regular um, habits which is five prayers maybe low you mean number but uh, i don't i can't i don't know okay obviously you can't i'm just saying give me a number anyway what is your perception i don't think anybody in this group has done an actual study of uh, regular i would say like 20% 20% Okay. But in, in Ramadan, Ramadan, I would say all the way up to 20.5%. <laughs> Maybe 30 or 40. It might go higher, you know, in yeah. terms of for Tarawi and such. Okay. All right. 300,000%. Okay. Uh, all right. So my point is, again, not to paint the picture as bleak. Uh, if we say hypothetically 
except for you know Yumna is apparently surrounded by by Oliavala, but the rest of us, uh, uh, I'm saying, I think that's reality, not pessimism. That you're going to have a minority population consistently fulfilling the big three. If I removed one of them from the picture, okay, then the number probably goes much higher. Like, I would like to think that a whole lot of people who don't pray still fast. Okay? Like when someone stops fasting, then you're like, oh my gosh, they don't even fast. You know? uh, but all of that, uh, awesome. Um, I think also the potential- wait, 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 hold, on, hold on, Are you and the little man wearing like matching outfits? Like- No, not quite. Okay, all right. Not quite. Those uh, of you who know awesome would absolutely believe that he would have outfits coordinated with his little man. But I am in the process of getting a wig made for him, so his hair looks like mine. Okay, please make your point. Uh, <laughs> uh, I think also, like, the group that you're asking, like, the group of people in this in this class right now are sort of a self-selecting group. Okay. Right. And so like I maybe and maybe this isn't true for everyone, but odds on, like they come from families that maybe practice if they were born into a Muslim family okay. and things like that. And so that'll skew our all of our perception. So, so does that mean it'll skew it so the number is smaller? I'd say it'd skew it the, so that the number is larger. Okay. So you're saying it's probably not 20% for those who said 20. It's probably like Three. Nobody in my family prays. Nobody in your family prays. They all just have this elevated state of spirituality. You know, mashallah. Very nice, mashallah. Okay. Ahans. Ahans number is 0.00357%. Okay. Yes. So, you know. Hey, Ahans, if you can ask Bobby, meaning the better half, what would she say for Indonesia? What would you say? Um, Assalamu alaikum, everyone. Uh, I would say, well, that's a really difficult question, actually. Yeah, okay, we've already established it's a very difficult question. Okay, okay, like, go to someone's house and then, like, you know, figure out if they're, like, praying or things like that. Um, if you had to guess, give a percentage. More in Indonesia. I have a good opinion. Um, maybe, like, around 50%. 50%. Yeah. I think we all, all us daisies especially, think the Indonesians are really biased. Mashallah. So that works. Okay. I'm sorry, Ahant, back to your point. Um, you know, so I guess my question, like to your question, is what is like the overarching you know point here? Because you There's said in the past that the way we view the Ummah is the way we view ourselves. Oh so, snap. So bring lessons together, mashallah. Keep going. So 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 are you saying that you know by me saying like point you know, zero, zero, three, five, seven percent, meaning that, you know, you know, let's, I view myself as practicing that much. Okay, no, no, the way you view the Ummah says more about you than the Ummah. Mm. But the way you view the Ummah does not mean that you have projected your actual self onto the Ummah. So we're all just judgmental in this case then? Potentially, or our numbers are sympathetic. But let's come back to that point. Uh, the point I'm suggesting for our consideration related to the previous ayah, 
is, is it fair to assume that we're not going to have 100% practice uh, of the entire population of people who are required to pray fast and give zakat, to pray fast and give zakat? I think it's fair to assume it's not going to be 100%. And the question is, how much lower will it be? And I think it's not uncommon, uh, uh, or it's not pessimistic even, to actually to think to think the number might be as low as 20%. I'm saying from a realistic perspective, okay, not a pessimistic, not an optimistic perspective, that you're going to have a small population of the people that are consistently doing the whole thing. Now, if I asked you how many people will feel Ramadan in some capacity, that number might go to 95% right? How many people will show up for Eid or feel something for Eid? That number of things will be pretty high. Or some people who in Ramadan will just have some change, even if it's a small change of consciousness, I think that number is very high. So I am suggesting that in terms of Muslim consciousness, whatever it means, I'm not saying an Islamic consciousness, but a Muslim consciousness, I think generally speaking, Muslims have it very, very high. The practice, however, I think is not nearly as high. So. Uh -huh. um, so I was having a conversation uh, with a friend uh, recently, um, and you know he made uh, an interesting point. Uh, he was watching a uh, a, uh, a Sheikh Hamza Yusuf like video, and Sheikh Hamza uh, was outlining. You know the, the 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 overall spiritual prowess of like of like of like the Mauritanians, yeah. and how like in their society, you know, you know they'll be, you know, you know much more like Hafiz. Uh, you know they'll be more spiritually inclined. You know, you know everyone would take Bea, etc. And he was kind of comparing that to the American, you know, Muslim community, and my my friend like made the point that you know that's not exactly an apt comparison yeah. because the average mauritanian muslim is a product of their environment mm -hmm. their the, their in environment is that you know as such mm -hmm. you know you know whereas the the, the american as uh, muslim and and many muslim like majority countries you know post like you know modernization and and you know the, the influx of the colonization we're the product of like our environments mm -hmm. so i guess what i'm saying is it's not fair mm -hmm. but it is reality i guess so what i would suggest um a lot of people who speak about mauritania tend to really romanticize it yeah and they kind of brush past the fact that it was one of the last uh, uh, places to remove slavery, and and for every person that I know that has been, has received tutelage from the big sheikhs of Mauritania, many of whom have now passed away. May Allah's mercy be upon them all. Uh, I have equal number of people who have gotten complete disenchanted uh, by their experiences in Mauritania. So I think it becomes uh, super subjective as everything else. But the point I'm making is Mauritania itself is akin to how Pakistanis in America idealize Pakistan. Right. 
nevertheless, I think your point is still a valid point that the comparison is also not fair. But yeah. Uh, so Danny, to your question, what is uh, a Muslim consciousness? So I am distinguishing it from calling it an Islamic consciousness, but a consciousness where you feel some sort of sympathy, some sort of, for lack of a better word, pride, some sort of connection to either the deen, to Allah, to the Prophet, to the Ummah, something somewhere in there. And it probably grows a bit in Ramadan, even if, let's say this is me, even if I don't do anything about it. I do think this is true of a lot of Muslim Muslims of the world. Now the feelings might be the reverse, might be an increase of hostility, but it's still uh, something is still alive in there. What do you think? Does it make sense? Yeah, it does. I was just wondering if it was a specific type of connection that you were describing or if it's, as you um, said now, it, it could be anything. Yeah, not even anything particular. Uh, I think even uh, right now at this moment in terms of Islam in America, uh, it's hard to find someone who is Muslim uh, in terms of their identification who feels absolutely nothing, no connection. If we have this conversation 15 years from now, I think we'll find a lot of people. Um, Go for it. So Can you all hear uh, Farah when she's speaking? So you had us um, measure or give this percentage based on like how many people are doing certain yeah, the acts. The acts. Um, at the same time, um, if you talk about a Muslim consciousness, wouldn't that also want to take into account how many people would have, I guess, opinions or uh, stances on certain social issues that also speak to a fundamental mm -hmm. sense of justice and equality as so someone can be five times praying but then also condemn their kids for wanting to marry someone of another race sure you know? i would say in terms of how i'm speaking of muslim consciousness i don't even take it that far mm -hmm. meaning what i'm speaking of a muslim consciousness might for some people be muslim nationalism mm -hmm. or a muslim tribalism right but there's still something there like a so, I, I mean, I'm, I guess I'm challenging the idea that the rituals tells us anything about being Muslim. Yeah, um, I, I do think uh, if someone is making all the rituals, I do think it tells us a lot, right? Mm -hmm. um, but it doesn't necessarily tell us how close they are to God. Right. Yeah. Or, what, yeah, I, I don't know, when it comes to the ritualistic aspect, a lot of like faces of uncle and aunties come to my mind. <laughs> <laughs> who are definitely saying the wrong things while they're praying. Oh, totally, totally. Yeah, I mean, well, as well. Okay, so, yeah. Um, Asim is saying it is much easier to be conscious when you're in a Muslim-majority country. In Saudi, we had a lot of decor around the city. Schools I was offered latter half of Ramadan and for Eid and work. Yeah, I think um, that you can have those aspects that promote it, right? And thus, when you're in America, especially pre 9-11 America, uh, you know, you have it as part of you that does not necessarily need to be a part of you. After 9-11, just about everyone had to go through an unconscious process of deciding where their Islam is. Uh, I know, were you raising your hand? 
or you just happen to land it in that part of the screen. Okay, so again, what is the what is the the first point that I'm making is that when we're looking at action, uh, I'm saying in a normal sense, and probably through most of Islamic history, you're only going to find a small percentage of people, uh, a minority population, that is doing the whole thing. And I'm saying like the core three um, acts of uh, of worship. And I'm saying if it's 30%, I'm saying it's a very big number. Okay. I'm not saying it's a small number. I'm actually regarding that as a big number if it's 30%. 50% is off the charts astonishing. Uh, but for example, the estimate is the number of Muslims in America who are of age who attend Juma is what percent? Anybody know? And this number is from about 25 years ago, 4%. That's the estimate. Uh, the number is probably lower now. If we add the sheer number of people that have entered the workforce and, and such, right, who attend Juma on a regular basis. Um, even if you just look at, you know, just Islam in Chicago, uh, estimate 100 mosques, uh, that of those 100 mosques, maybe four of them have more than 1,000 people for Juma. Every other mosque has 100 or less. Yeah. And so the number, uh, the number shrinks and shrinks and shrinks. Uh, Zishan, I think there is also a lot of questions about about the, how do they get the, um, uh, how did they even come to that number? So, for example, uh, I think I think I think you addressed it. I, I get it. It was just like I think the logic framework that you mentioned does make sense. Yeah. Um, I just had a follow up question on like when you mentioned, you know, like the communities which don't um, see themselves as Muslims. What's your take on like? Sherman Jackson and his like the African-American community of Nation of Islam went to this and now Im the immigrant Islam, non-immigrant Islam situation, right? Like people who had in that era considered Muslim, now they have nothing to do with it. They say like, yeah, my one of my uncles was Muslim, but yeah. now I have nothing to, is that symptomatic it, or, or are you saying like, yeah. So I'm saying in what seems to be the history of the experience of religion in America, uh, America almost always wins. Right, especially for minority populations. Yep. Uh, Shaila. So um, I have a couple of points. Yeah. Um, one is, um, you know, you made the point of how many go to Juma. I don't think that's really a good mark of religiosity. It could also be a mark of hypocrisy. That's what I would see in Iran a lot when I would like go to the mosques. It was a lot of you know, hypocrites that are trying to appear to be religious that, you know, go to Juma prayer and listen to, you know, hypocritical speeches. And um, so I don't think that's a good mark of their true, like, devotion to the dean from what I've seen. And I'm sure that that probably exists in every other country as well. Um, but then also, based on my experience in Iran, you know, this, the, how the, going back to the ayah where it says like, you know, calling to what is good, forbidding what is wrong. Um, you know, I did see a lot of that in Iran too. Like um, these old women took it upon themselves to go around telling young ladies to, you know, pull their headscarves forward because their hair was showing. And so they felt that they were doing, you know, they were forbidding what was wrong, right? So that's, that's what they were doing as their duty. So how do we, you know, kind of figure out what is actually, what should we be doing? What should we be encouraging? And what should we be forbidding? Totally. So before getting to that, I would say, yeah, I'm, I'm not suggesting that my hypothetical number of 30% is a representative of religiosity. 
meaning how much of that is genuine, how much of that is 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 performance is is a is a valid question. Uh, if someone, however, is making all their prayers in a mosque, um, I would say that is someone can't sustain that. Uh, a hypocrite can't sustain that. If someone is making fajr and isha on a regular basis in the mosque, right, or at home, uh, I don't think hypocrisy can sustain that. Juma, I think a person, a hypocrite can sustain. Case in point right here. No, but uh, the point is that uh, uh, I think there's certain acts of worship that in the long term um, absolutely lend themselves to hypocrisy and others that a hypocrite cannot sustain. And especially the prayers at the ends of the day. But yeah, we'll get more to, 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 to the ayah itself in a moment, inshallah. Um, Asim is asking which four mosques in Chicago, uh, IFS, Mosque Foundation, um, MCC, and I'm forgetting probably MEC, yeah. uh, are, are like the big ones with multiple Jummahs and, and such. And Mosque Foundation alone probably has more people coming for Jummah than the other three combined, or at least two of them combined. Yeah. Raise your hand. Um, as we're talking about this, how does this like people moving away from ritual stuff, how does it relate to, ha to having good character? So uh, I've, as I've suggested before, ritual does not mean good character, right? And again, if someone is consistent at the ends of the day, those prayers, I want to think that on average, they have higher character. But still, I'm not going to say that consistent practice of ritual actually means higher character. Uh, the two support each other, but just as I can have strong character without ritual, uh, I think I can also have, uh, you know, somewhat strong ritual without character. Zakat, no indication of character, right? Um, the fasting of Ramadan, I think you can do without character. I think zakat does have an indication of character. Keep going. Uh, you you could very easily not pay zakat. Like it, I think things that are not public facing indicate your character more than mm -hmm. than like obvious things like going to a mosque to pray. Totally right. Uh, but like for example, in many Middle Eastern countries, it's automatically taken from your account. Sure. No. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking about this in an... In you're, you're looking from the perspective of things that may not necessarily get me public attention, sure. That could be someone yeah. making all five prayers at home, too. Yeah, but I'm also looking at it from an American Islamic paradigm, right? Sure. My taxes sure. are taken out of my paycheck, but my zakat does not. <laughs> Hazel. Assalamu alaikum, senor. Wa alaikum assalam, senora. So I am not to belabor the point about the massage within the Chicagoland area, but I think Jealousy. that the massage no, I think that the massage you named, alhamdulillah, are also uh, accommodating when it comes to space. Because there are a number of masajid on the south side that just are like front storefront masajid that don't necessarily have the space, but they have multiple jummas. Sure. Um, so I just want to mention that point. Okay, so translate 
that uh, is it in agreement, disagreement, tangential to the point that I'm making? Tangential okay. and yeah, tangential. Okay, fair enough. That you're saying that if uh, a number of these spaces uh, had more space, we'd probably see higher numbers? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's fair enough. Dania. Just on that. Oh. Oh, where that voice came from. Oh, Iqbal. Okay, Dania, then Iqbal. You can go ahead. You're making your point. So I was saying that also the particular day about the Juma aesthetics that we have, if that's a holiday, I see the number increase twice. Of course. I mean, if it's if it's a Good Friday. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> what does that mean to you? I think it just means that there's a lot of people who wish they could go to Juma. You know, but it's too obstructive in terms of how their day operates. Dania. Okay, a couple questions for you about the ayah itself. Yeah. Um, so first, uh, I'm just not sure when it says "walatakun um, minkum." Is it? Is this an order like B, or so, is it let there be? So "walatakun" basically, or or "iltakun." This idea is uh, there should be, okay. as opposed to a fard. Right. Yeah. But like, are we supposed to, t like, should be implies. Should, should be implies if you don't do it, it's not a sin. Okay. Right. So fard, if you do it, you're rewarded. If you don't do it, it's sinful. Sunnah, if you do it, it's rewarded. If you don't do it consistently, then it's potentially sinful. Nafal, if you do it, it's rewarded. If you don't do it, nothing right and so this it would be looked at as a recommendation or it could be a farth kifaya but by the first words i'd call it a recommendation and farth kifaya means the whole community at least should have a group that's doing this yeah. gotcha um and then the second question is um is this is it talking specifically about the ummah itself or in general how we interact with the world around us great, great. so yeah so let's uh, start jumping into the ayah and then we'll continue inshallah tomorrow so first once again who are we who is allah speaking to in this passage he's speaking to believers and then he's saying to the believers among you there should be a group yeah so my whole point in 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 stating that it's a minority population that's really all in, in terms of practicing the deen. Okay. That's how the reality is. And what has to happen is that you have to have some group of people that are going to take on the responsibility of calling people, okay. of promoting what is right, of forbidding what is wrong. And that's just to sustain the community that and so a jama yeah and so so the point is that you know this is we're being given a formula for how to sustain and potentially grow the acts of worship as well as the internal faith of the population that you need a group of people that are working together on this project now their source can be an individual so when we look throughout history most of the revivalists were individuals right that you have decay, destruction, everything going on. And then some person comes along 
and you know produces scholarship that is relevant and it has integrity of Islam and everything. And it causes over the next generation or two or three a revival. But what I'm adding to that formula is you might have some people that start with the ideas, but then you need a group of people that are now calling people. And so, so this is something that is necessary. I'm speaking as you know a couple of people here who've also have been with me, you know, formerly part of, of such groups that have tried to do these things. But I'm suggesting that this is something that has to happen. So, for example, if we think of American Islam, okay, uh, and although I mean Yumna and a few others, you're not in America, or those of you who are even in Canada, North American Islam, okay. Uh, is there a group that you suggest is doing this or at least trying whether or not they're succeeding? Is mass such a group or the TJs? What do you all think? I don't see anything in Canada though. Okay. okay. Can you repeat well, your question? Okay, so hey, so I'm basically asking, you know, if we look at what this I is prescribing, okay who call to what is good, push, you know, enjoin what is right, forbid what is wrong. Like that's the core of their work. Uh, in Detroit, is there a group that's doing that? So this is not a criticism of any group, right? We have all kinds of groups that are doing social services. We have advocacy groups. We have groups that, I mean, the running of a mosque is a group, right? With a board and everything. And so Melatel reward everyone for all their efforts, inshallah, multiple fold, especially in Ramadan. But the point is, can you think of a group that's doing this? Fadlullah. I would, I would say maybe like, maybe this is my childhood bias, but the group ISNA, it's on okay. the side of North America. Right. I feel like they do. I, I feel like they have done or have had the intention of doing this okay. for all the years that I can remember. Right. Iqbal. Uh, I don't know why nobody's saying Tablighi Jamaat. Well, I'm asking, is it the TJs? You know? Oh, TJs. Yeah. Good one. Tawseef. I don't know the state of... Um, I think there are groups who are doing it. Okay. So Isna, Ikna, Mass uh, are the traditional ones that grew out of, like, you know, um, revivalist movements over the seas, Tanzim Islami, so forth, so on. Um but I think here, like the indigenous, so, you know, as we term indigenous, um, Imam Jamil Alameen's organization was doing it for a long time, um, but it's been decimated in some senses, I think, in some areas, but still going strong. Um, W.D. Muhammad, um, some of the masajid and in, in, in the cities, pretty strong. Um, yeah, I'll say those some of those groups. Right. Asa, what do you mean? I think the nation was unwittingly doing it. Um, I, I think it it sort of ended up happening as a byproduct of what they were actually trying to do, which yeah. is increase the membership. But then, like things like like Malcolm going on Hudge and stuff, sort of um, pushed it. Okay. To actually do it, I also think in terms of people meeting people where they are. Uh, Tadlif has been doing uh, this work for quite some time too. Right. Hold on. So, uh, just to break it down further, like uh, Isna or Iknam, like organizations, uh, they they have a very 
um, like uh, very structured their own way doing things like like counseling, right? Youth counseling, or these are sort of halakas, right? And more like educational, and uh, and 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 in terms of uh, involvement in the political activities, right? Especially because of Islamophobia and all those things. So they are more like in that direction. Like they have their own schooling. Okay, we are giving loans which are interest free. Like there are no interest, but whatever, like halal loans or for the mortgage. You know, they are they are in that direction morally, uh, rather than I think the thing we are talking about here okay you're saying you feel that they're not doing these things no okay. <laughs> um anyone else any other thoughts daniel what do you think is mosque foundation doing this here's the thing i don't know if i interact or engage enough to actually have a real can make a, a, a fair assessment. Yeah. Um, but I will say, I don't know if, um, if this counts, but I feel like individual actions make a huge impact as well. Sure. Um, so even like just small reminders that people send or things that people like other Muslims do um, growing that connection. But okay. I'm curious to hear your thoughts. So my thoughts, um, all the examples that are given, I will speak of as good groups, uh, some better than others. Uh, I don't know if anyone's doing this right now. I think they're doing variations or things related that are still of benefit. Uh, uh, but I don't know that anyone's doing this core. Okay. Awesome, then Hazel. What would it look like for an organization to be doing this? I think a lot of this is education. Okay. And so we would find this closer in terms of the seminaries. Okay. Right. Uh, but what I'm including built into this, calling to what is right, forbidding what is wrong, is essentially uh, standing up and being a voice of justice. So the language of justice, which we will be exploring, inshallah, if we get to it, um, at the core of it is calling to what is right and forbidding what is wrong. So I can, I, I can buy that, but then would we, I mean, that is not really like our society isn't structured to handle religious groups doing that. Mm -hmm. Keep going. So is this a, is this then a design, uh, like a social design, right? So like when I say that, what I mean is like we at, at like in a political sense, we can't get, uh, you know, our politicians to agree on universally having the right to vote in a democracy. And that feels like it feels like if that is if that bar can't be met, then how can organizations outside of mm -hmm. like a, a political spectrum be able to do anything related to justice? Well, I think uh, that's part of a point to take from the AYA itself. Uh, okay. One approach is to try to get everybody on the same platform. Yeah. And I would read this article, this AYA is saying, don't be divided, don't promote division. But 
you do this work. See what I'm saying? Sort of. It's making my head hurt. But I think Michael, that is my success. Like, like, but I think then the question becomes like, okay, so in theory, we should be striving to do this. Yes. Right. And so like, how do we do that on an individual level if there are no organizations doing it? Oh, then you start one. No, I'm not, I'm not making this class as a call to start this organization. Uh, Because having been in organizations, I know how hard they are to sustain. Yeah. Um, But the point is that it must be tried. I've had conversations with people that I've been in groups with before. How do we get this started again? You know, is, is this, was this the end goal of greenhouse? Greenhouse could be within that. Yeah. It's uh, within the artistic lens. Absolutely. Greenhouse is, uh, was this sort of conservatory that Austin and I were putting on and, and producing things. Uh, amongst others yeah awesome and but i don't know who else knows uh, the people there um but it was focused on the arts shella um i don't know that this aya is necessarily limiting to like religious practices or like ethical things like what about environmental issues right Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like could this encompass environmental issues too? And if so, like, it doesn't seem like there's a Muslim presence, you know, advocating for the environment. Mm -hmm. So uh, this would include the environment, uh, not just in our era uh, and everything that's going on, but uh, um, going back over the generations. So there have been many movements that today we would speak of as being concerned about the environment, you know, or different uh, points in various Muslim empires and such. Uh, and you know, I mean, for example, if we were to look at the Catholic Church, right? So, literally, in our department meeting today, we spoke about concern for the environment, and then we kept quoting a number of things from Laudato Si, which is the Pope's encyclical about the environment, right? And and in the Catholic Church, you also have a Catholic social teaching, which is basically about you know what is more just. And we were having discussion today about Catholic social teaching endorses, for example, unions. And, and so we have it articulated uh, in some traditions, more so it seems in Catholicism than any of the other big traditions in America, right? More than Protestant tradition, more than Jewish tradition, more than Muslim tradition. We all have various amounts of this, uh, but the Catholics seem to be ahead, at least in the discourse. But I think, um, you know, in terms of like what our religious texts teach us, I mean, I think there's a lot of justification in, in the Quran Absolutely. to be an advocate and vicergent, you know, for the yeah. earth and, and whatnot. Um, yeah. And so. I mean, if we, if we like someday, maybe we'll do a class on Surah Rahman. And one of the points that I taught in that meeting today, very briefly, but um, that I teach when I'm teaching Surah Rahman is that uh, justice is inseparable from the interaction with the environment, which is inseparable, the two are inseparable from your relationship with Allah. And that's coming right from the beginning of the surah. Hazel Tausif. All right. So, um, enjoining the good and forbidding the evil requires each of us to know what is wrong and what is right within our respective societies. Okay. 
which means that there needs to be some sort of religious literacy coming from a Muslim perspective in order to do that, in order to have a grounding to go full force with this outward justice, while at the same time, not oppressing oneself in the process by not following God's commands. Mm -hmm. So all that to say is, I believe, like education. And so when that leaf came up, um, I also wanted to bring up Rabata in the sense that these are organizations that help people with a grounding in who they are as Muslims to work on being just with oneself in their relationship in our relationship with God Mm -hmm. and then moving translating that into all right how do I go out into society Mm -hmm. and and know how I'm forbidding the wrong and enjoying the good Mm -hmm. I'd agree with this right I mean I was mentioning a few moments ago that you're likely to find something that's closer in a seminary type situation and this I think is a bit more like a scholar activist type scenario Dosif Um, um, you know, in, in, in the uh, context of what we've been discussing of Ummah, right, and uh, within the Ummah to be a, a group to call to the good, right, and we've been discussing how justice is a very um, broad term, right, and so someone, if they're coming from a paradigm it, they could be coming like, I'm a, I, I want to fight for justice. I want to fight for ecological rights. And I want to organize these people to vote for XYZ candidate and, you know, or whatever. Right. But what the ayah is saying, um, and from building off of what Hazel just mentioned, mm-hmm. is the good, the ma'roof, is what Islam commands. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and the munkar, the evil, is... Uh, what it forbids, yeah. right? Um, and so I don't think people are ready to really dive into that, though. Okay, explain because... <laughs> uh, Explain Maruf and Munkar. Well, I mean, from my basic understanding, I mean, I'm sure there's more in depth, but Maruf is what is known. Okay, right? so that's what the but, word means, but explain. Yeah. But uh, it's, it's the good, it's the commands, like, that one should, you know, pray one should uh you know uh not commit these sort of lewd acts perhaps in society that exists right that's part of it you know so there's the fuzzy cool side of like i want to um you know uh work on some social justice issue but that in an an islamic paradigm is definitely tied to also ethical comportment of fulfilling commands right so this last part, say it less theoretically. Oh, <laughs> um, well, basically you have to be about it before you preach, preach it, you know, kind okay, so of sacred activism. Yeah. Okay. okay. So I, I think Dawood Walid talks about it in a nice way. That's maybe more, less, less academic-y. Okay. His, his book, Sacred Activism. Um, All right. Right. So still the consistent point, fair enough, the consistent point is uh, some amount of grounding in in terms of Islam. When we're speaking of ma'ruf and munkar, if we're really getting philosophical, uh, the ma'ruf, you know, which you translate as what is known, is looked at as a couple of ways very commonly. One is that everyone is born on fitrah and we have an innate sense of right and wrong. 
or we have an innate sense of that which is right. And, and so calling people to what is right is in part calling people to that which conforms to their upright nature and that which calls them to their upright nature. As though it's, uh, it's not symbiotic, but it's innate, this innate connection with right behavior. And munkar is that which is repulsive to their innate nature. So when you, when you and Hazel are speaking about getting a, a certain amount of Islamic knowledge, I'm taking it further, getting a certain amount of Islamic purity. So that the right becomes attractive to you and the wrong is repulsive to you. So it's like in a sense is getting back to fitra. Yes. With fitra. Exactly. Right. And part of that actually happens by way of the call. So it's not you do this and then you make the call. Part of this happens in the process of making the call. That, you know, that you are calling things uh, and looking at them as something that is innately pleasing to you. Okay. That uprightness is innately pleasing. And munkar, those things that are wrong, are innately repulsive to you. So if we're in a society that is so off-kilter with fitra... A lot more work. I mean, in in conversations with Tawseef and a few others, I openly speak of our society as literally psychotic in terms of spirituality. It's like literally a psychotic society, Uh, especially with the development of social media. You know, it's like everything is upside down. Okay, that's a whole conversation we can have. But, yeah, go ahead, Austin. I was going to ask if you can explain it further. You yeah, we'll save it, we'll save it for, for uh, a different time. But the uh, what I want us to, to, to get is at least this first part, and we'll discuss this ayah a bit more, inshallah, tomorrow, and then we'll get into the next ayah. Any other last questions, thoughts, reflections? So a question for you to think about. If you are not part of a group, the general notion in our community is almost like a repulsion, you know, beyond MSA life. Uh, Either people dive into a certain type of format of group, like what's popular right now, but it's waning is, you know, attach yourself to the Sufi Sheikh and life is awesome, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, But generally speaking, there's a certain amount of repulsion across our community to those types of, of of networks and such and the question is why and that we'll inshallah get into and explore tomorrow great i was gonna say something but okay okay fine fine say it i think it's the group mentality Um, i see that here in detroit where there's kind of a repulsion uh, of that mentality um between detroit african-american muslims and some of the non-black um, Muslims in the suburbs and it's it's the spiritual abuse that has happened um, it is the uncertainty of like what, what, what are you doing um, and some some people just don't want to change just overall across across the board so it's a it's a hit or miss yeah, fair enough right we'll continue inshallah all right, my next class, I call these guys the Cobra Kai. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubi ilayk. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubi ilayk.
Subhanakallahumma, glory to you, O Allah. Wa bihamdika, praise and gratitude are to you. Nashhadu la ilaha illa anta. We bear witness there is no God but you. Nastaghfiruka, we seek your forgiveness. And we turn to you. All right, may Allah tell word you all, inshallah. We will continue tomorrow. Tomorrow. We'll start the day tomorrow with the smile. Or... <laughs>